I was wondering, what is really so special about Easter? Easter? Well, Easter is the most special holiday of them all. But it's not like Christmas or my birthday. I don't get any presents. You don't really get new toys or new clothes, you're right. But you do get a gift greater than anything you could buy at a store. Remember, the Apostle Paul wrote in the Bible that everything is worthless compared to what Jesus did on the cross. Oh, but wait, what did Jesus do? Jesus made it so that we could be with God. Once upon a time, we were separated from where we come from because of sin, because we broke the rules. But what rules did we break? We broke God's rules, the rules of how life is supposed to be lived. But when Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment that we earned when we broke the rules, and he made it so that we could be right with God once again. So on Easter, God forgives me, and we're friends again. Does that mean we aren't friends when it's not Easter? No, no, no. The Easter gifts of forgiveness and friendship are gifts that you always will have. And we don't just celebrate Easter on Easter, but what happened when Jesus died and came back to life again is something that we celebrate every day of our lives by believing in Jesus. It's a lifelong friendship that is celebrated on Easter to remember his love for us. Remember, Paul said that God's way of making us right with him is through our faith in what Jesus did. But who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the Son of God who created people like you and me. Because of this, he has power over life and death. That's why on Easter, once Jesus made us right with God again, he was raised up and came back to life. Because he is more powerful than death itself. Does that mean that someday after I die, I will live again? Yes, it's all part of what Jesus did on Easter. Just as Paul wrote before, by believing in Jesus and putting him before anything else in our lives, we will live again too. So, Easter is greater than all of the other days of the year, because this is the day that we get to live again? Yes and no. This day and every day, you get to be with God again because of what Jesus did. But also, someday that is coming soon, the whole world will be made right with God again, just like you are. And there will be no more crying and no more hurting. I can't wait until that happens. That sounds amazing. I can't wait to be with Jesus and live again. It is amazing. And remember, it's all because of what Jesus did. And that is why we celebrate Easter. the message of Easter. Isn't that a great message? It is awesome. Paul says this. Let's look back at it for just a moment. Look at this scripture right here. He says, I consider everything in my life a what? A loss compared to something else. He says, everything else in my life, it's like a sham compared to the surpassing greatness of what happens when you come to know Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he says, for whose sake I've lost all things. Do you know how you know how valuable something is? 
what are you willing to lose to get that thing that's so valuable? What are you willing to pay for it? What are you willing to give up? Paul says everything else, notice, he says, I consider everything else, he calls it rubbish or trash. He says that I would gain Christ and be found in him. He says this, I want to know Christ, not just know about him, but I want to know him and I want to know the power of his, come on, his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, you know over the last uh, several months, the first quarter of our year, we have shared with you nearly a dozen stories of people that can relate to what Paul says here. People whose lives have been changed by Jesus. I thought about several of them. In fact, you remember this, this young lady right here, you can see her picture, Kennedy, who said, I don't need to listen to the things that my anxiety tells me, if God wakes me up every day, then I'll know what? He's not done with me. And everybody said, amen. She says, everything else in life is rubbish compared to knowing God. I don't know if you remember her story, but it was a powerful one. Or I thought of this guy, if you remember this story we've heard in the last few months, Carlos, who leads Tuesday morning, early morning prayer for men and women. He says this, he says, praying in the middle of my day brought consistently, consistency to my life and my work. It brought me out of myself and allowed me to put others first and be intentional with my time and care for others. Paul said, again, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. See, this is something in the last few months that Carlos has picked up on. And Paul goes on again. I just want to read it because it's so powerful. He says that I know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. That even suffering is okay because in the suffering I'm becoming like him so as somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And of course, if you remember this story, we heard from this guy who actually has recently been in the hospital and dealing consistently with a with a cancer that's been so challenging, but what does he say? Sharing and suffering. He says, life is never gonna be perfect, but when you realize what God did for you, you realize that you need him. Guys, what we have seen over the last few months are nearly a dozen stories of life change. Now, what causes people's disposition to change like this? <laughs> last weekend, in fact, uh, Good Friday, last weekend, Palm Sunday. We've been doing baptism after baptism. And in fact, I want to show you this picture. Here's a baptism that we did. Look at this sweet lady, Jenny, right here. Now, yeah, you can clap for Jenny. Now, Jenny is 95 years old. She was baptized last weekend. This is her son, and she let me plug her nose and... Uh, Guys, what you're looking at is a 95-year-old newborn. <laughs> yeah, that's worth clapping for. What changes lives? What is that that happens to a person? See, today I want to talk to you about the nature of faith in the risen Christ. Because there is something that happens that create testimonies like these that you've just seen and I need you to understand, it's not just because Jesus Christ was risen from the grave, but it's because 
the faith that those people have was connected to the risen Christ. Now, what I mean is, you've got to understand this, faith is the connector. Let me give you an example. When you flick on a light switch, the light comes on, right? But it's not because the switch necessarily has any great power. No. The switch connects, to, connects a light bulb to a power source. That's what the switch does. Well, faith is like that. And you don't have to have a lot of faith. You just have to have some. Now, what is faith? Here's the way I'd define it. This is not in your notes, but you could take a look here. Faith is grabbing hold of the risen Christ in such a way that his resurrection power begins to come into your life and it begins to transform you and change you. It enables you to begin to do the things that all these testimonies have been about. Now, some people struggle with faith and Pastor Kyle read from the scriptures. It's the first scripture in your notes. If you don't have those, you can look at it again. But this story was about people in the Bible who struggled with faith. You saw Mary stood outside the tomb and she was crying. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she said, well, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. Or then you remember we read about Thomas. Thomas called Didymus is one of the 12 who said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and unless I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe it. You see, listen, if we're going to talk for a few minutes about faith, it's important to acknowledge that people have struggled with the concept since the beginning, especially when it comes to the resurrection. In fact, for the first century Jewish and Gentile believers, Jesus would have had to have provided extraordinary evidence for anyone to believe it. They shouldn't have believed it. You can see from the stories they actually didn't believe it. They assumed other things. So here's the question. What is resurrection faith? I'm going to define that for you. So I want for you to write this down. Here's the first thing you need to remember if you want resurrection faith. Number one... Resurrection faith is always a transfer of your trust. It's not necessarily the creation of trust. Now, here's why. There are lots of people who say things like, well, pastor, I'd love to believe, but then they say, but I don't have faith. They say, pastor, you have faith, and that's great for you. Have you heard non-believers say this ever to you, for example? You have faith, and that's good for you, but I don't have faith. And friends, I'm just going to tell you what. That's just not true. We all have faith. In fact, we all have fierce faith. But the question is, what do we put our fierce faith into? And here's what I'd say becoming a Christian is. Becoming a Christian is getting connected to the risen Christ and taking your fierce faith where it is, and putting it where it should be. That's what a Christian does. Now listen, this is important. You've got to get this because Mary and Thomas, all the disciples, they all had seen Jesus. They've seen him work miracles. They've seen Jesus walk on the water. Remember, they've seen Jesus raise the dead. And do you understand that Every single thing that Jesus ever said, not a word of it didn't come true. 
And he also predicted he would rise from the dead three days later. In fact, friends, Jesus predicted he would rise from the dead so often and so well that even his enemies had heard about it and they had posted guards around the tomb. But here's what's interesting. You get to the third day and Mary comes to the tomb and sees the tomb open and what's her first response? Now let's go back again. She's seen everything else come true. She has seen miracles. Everybody knew that he said he's going to rise on the third day. She sees the tomb empty. And what's her response? Well, they must have stolen the body. Why? Why does she think that? Let me define it to you another way. What is unbelief? Go ahead and take a look at this. Again, this is not in your notes, but here's how I define unbelief. Unbelief in Jesus Christ is never simply the absence of faith. It's just the presence of faith in something else. What was Mary's faith in? They must have what? They must have stolen the body. That's the best explanation. Now, friends, listen to me. Whether you've ever thought about this before or not, our faith, all of our faith, and everybody has faith, is fiercely attached, irrationally attached to something else. Let me give an example of where most of us put our faith. Most of us, our faith is fiercely attached to the idea that we're competent enough to judge for ourselves. We're competent enough to run our own lives. And for some of us, the reason why it's so hard to believe, the reason why Mary couldn't believe, the reason why John and Peter couldn't believe, the reason why Thomas couldn't believe, the reason unbelief is so difficult is not because we're incapable of belief. It's just that their belief was already locked onto something different. Don't you see? Unbelief, again, in Jesus Christ is never simply the absence of faith. It's the presence of faith, but you've got it locked someplace else. And I'm going to tell you something. Here's the difficult thing about Christianity. This is the hard thing about following Jesus. is because if you read the Bible and you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, I'm going to tell you, in that moment, if you really read the Bible and you really believe it's true, In that moment you believe it, you've absolutely lost control of your life. Do you know that? That's why it's so hard. (laughs) Because if Jesus is actually who he says he is, my goodness, we have no choice but to surrender. And if those are the stakes, I would just ask you, no wonder it's hard for people to be objective. You hear and you say, I can't believe it. I won't believe it. I refuse to believe it. Well, it's because your faith is already completely wrapped up in your own belief that you should control your own life. That you're competent enough to run your own life. And can I encourage you for just a minute? You may be here today and you're visiting on Easter and boy, we love that you're here. Keep on coming. We're excited about that. But if you're here and you're a skeptic, I just want to encourage you to maybe do something groundbreaking. Get skeptical of your own skepticism. (laughs) Start to be suspicious of your suspicion. Maybe start doubting your doubts. Why? Because I don't know that you can be fully objective. Because, see, there's an agenda as to why we don't want to believe certain things. It may be your lack of faith may be based on an irrational faith in your own competence, an irrational desire to keep control of your life. 
And I just ask you, how do you know that you're competent to control your own life? <laughs> Did you create you? God says, listen, unbelief is nothing new. For example, when I think about unbelief, I always think of Matthew's gospel. I think it's in chapter 28, verse 17, it, where Jesus, the risen Christ, he appears to his disciples, and it says, yes, they all saw him and they worshiped him, but what happened? Some doubted. See, it's nothing new. Or I think of another example. In Luke chapter 16, Luke's gospel, he tells this parable about a rich man who's in hell. And look at what he says. The rich man who's in hell says, let me ask you, Father, send, send him, he's talking about Lazarus, this poor man, and he's in heaven, and the rich man's in hell, and he says, send Lazarus to the house of my father where I have five brothers so that he can tell them the score and warn them so that they won't end up in this place of torment. Abraham answered, they have Moses and the prophets to tell them the score. Let them listen to them. I know, Father Abraham, he said, but they're not listening. If someone comes back from the dead, they would change their ways. Notice how Abraham replies. He says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced by someone who rises from the dead. And do you know what? That is absolutely true. Because guess who rose from the dead? <laughs> and look at how many people still don't believe. Friends, listen to me. A closed mind doesn't have to open to the strongest evidence in the world. Do you know that? Do you know why that's true? Because human creatures are not creatures of reason alone. We have agendas. We have reasons why we don't want to believe what we're compelled to believe. And I'm going to tell you, you can dismiss anything if you don't want to believe it. You don't have to listen to any evidence. And there's good evidence, by the way. There's such good evidence that it convinced person after person after person that this Jesus must be real. Is your faith already grounded in something else? Look at your doubts and ask yourself, are my doubts objective? All right, write this down, number two. What is it about resurrection faith? Number two. Resurrection faith is always faith in what Jesus has done, not just in what Jesus has said. Write that down. What do I mean? Here's the point. If you look at Mary and you look at Thomas, here's the question. Why did Mary and Thomas and the other disciples, why did they have to meet the risen Christ before they could have triumphant lives? What's the answer to that? I mean, their lives were a mess before they met the risen Christ. Why? They had his teaching. Jesus had taught, for example, how to love your neighbors Jesus gave this wonderful, incredible teaching about love and equality. He talked about justice and compassion. Now, there are many skeptics today that will say to you, well, they'll say, I don't know what I believe about the old legends of Jesus' birth and his death and his resurrection, but that's not important. What they'll say is, the important thing is Jesus' moral teaching. Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. But I would just say to you, his teaching wasn't enough for the disciples. They had his teaching, but their lives were still a mess. Mary, Thomas, James, John, their lives were a mess. Let me tell you why. Listen to me. Abstract principles don't change a person's life. It's a personal relationship that we all need. Think about this. 
It is a historical fact that entire communities have been changed because of the power of the gospel. You heard the testimonies that have been shared the last quarter from dozens of people and the baptisms that have been done. We're going to do more baptisms today. I hope you get baptized. What changes their life? Is it information or is it a person? I've seen men stop beating their wives. I've seen men and women confess adulterous affairs and get right with God. I've seen people overcome addictions. Historically, people have stopped wiping out races who they thought were inferior. Why? Because people's lives are changed by the gospel. Do you see? This is why Jesus told an old religious leader. Do you remember the story? It's one of my favorite stories. John's Gospel, chapter 3. Let's go ahead and look at it for just a minute. Jesus appears and he says to this teacher of the law, unless you are what? Born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So this old teacher of the law, he says, well, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb? Isn't that a good question? That's a great question. He says, it's not even he, this is not scientifically possible. What do you mean you must be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. See, humans can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to what? Come on. Spiritual life. Don't be surprised, Jesus said to this teacher, that I say you must be born again. Why? Do you see? What is the gospel? Friends, let me just put it to you this way. Is the gospel, hey, you should love one another. Is that the gospel? Nope. Is the gospel, you should live better lives? Nope. Is the gospel, we are the world, we are the children, we are the ones who make a brighter day, so let's start giving. Is that the gospel? No. And let me tell you something. When you preach that to people, do people just fall down and say, oh, I never thought of that. Boy, thank you for that message, pastor. Now I'm going to stop beating my wife. Is that how it works? No. That's not the gospel. See, Christianity doesn't tell you, it does not tell you just to believe in Christ's teachings. Christianity says that there was a person from outside of time who stepped into time. And he died for our sins. And he's now risen. And one day he is going to return to judge the living and the dead. And you can know him today. And you can have a relationship with him today. And in fact, he's your king. Do you see? It's a relationship. And it wasn't until the disciples had experienced this personal relationship that their lives begin to change. Why? Because resurrection faith is always in what Jesus has done, not just his teaching, not just his principles. Now, here's the third thing about resurrection faith. I want for you to get this down. This is a good one. Write this down. Resurrection faith always means you drop your conditions. Here's why. This is a great story. <laughs> Thomas had said this. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and unless I put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, what does he say? He says, I'm not going to believe it. But then Jesus shows up, and he stood among them, and he said, well, you could. You could put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out and put it there. And what does he do? Does the Scripture say that then Thomas touched him then? No. That's right. 
Now, he may have actually touched Jesus afterwards, but he certainly didn't do it at first. At first, he had to lay his conditions down, and you notice the change. He starts out by saying, unless I see it, unless I touch it, I will not believe it. A lot of people are like this, by the way. I think it's worth saying. A lot of people say, I won't believe unless, Lord, or I'll believe if you do this, or I'll believe if God does that. A lot of people say that. Friends, I'm here to tell you today, that's not how it works. And if you're trying to make it work that way, it's not working. It'll never work. No. When Jesus shows up, Jesus says, you put your finger here, you see my hands, reach out, touch. What does Thomas do? He drops his conditions, and the first thing he does first is say, my Lord and my God. Jesus says, look at my wounds. See what I've done for you. And he says, my Lord and my God. Not if this or if that. Why? Why why can we not give God conditions? Lord, I'll believe in you if you do this for me. God, I'll trust you when you do that. Let me just tell you guys, if I could just put it this way. A fly doesn't decide to have an elephant for a pet. Did you get that? Let me say that again. A fly doesn't decide to have an elephant for a pet. And a human being doesn't say to God, well, God, I'll believe in you if you do this. No. No. Resurrection faith always means you have to drop your conditions. Because don't forget the first point. Remember, resurrection faith is is faith in giving up your control and transferring it over and saying, I'm going to put it where it needs to be. Now, how do you do it? How do you connect with the risen Christ? Let me give you a few things, then we'll be done. You ready? Everybody say, I'm ready. All right, here we go. Here we go. This is powerful because it's only resurrection faith. I mean, it's what turned Thomas into a witness. You remember that? I mean, it's only resurrection faith that turned Peter into a courageous man. This is, remember the testimonies. This is transforming faith. God turned Moses, the stammerer, into an incredible prophet. God wants to do all those things. How does he do it? I love the way that the Phillips translation puts this scripture. Would you just look at it here on the screen with me? It says, once the spirit of him, God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives within who? You, he will by that same spirit bring to your whole being what? Come on. That's how change happens. God begins to build in you something remarkable. Guys, think about your life, and I'm going to say to you right now, God looks at you right where you are, and he has a blueprint of who he's called you to be. God has a vision of you, and he says, I want you to grab onto that. You know, because I'm a Disney fanatic, I love Disney, and when I think of vision, I think of Walt Disney. The ability of that person to go out on property and to envision where Disney World would be before it ever happened. I'm telling you that God looks at your life and he sees something that you can't conceive of yet. If you would just shift your faith to him as the object, he says, it's amazing what I'll do in you. But you'll only see it over time and it will only be revealed to you if you connect with the risen Christ by faith. That's the switch. So how do you do it? All right, I said I'd give it to you. Here you go, write this down. Here's the first thing. Realize that you already have plenty of faith. I've already said it. 
You already have plenty of faith. You have faith in your own competence to control your life. All you need to do is transfer that faith over to him. And I know some of you, you hear me say that, and it's like, yeah, pastor, I hear you. But you say, I don't feel like I have enough faith. Guys, listen, you don't need much. What did Jesus say? Let's look at this great text. It's so comforting. Even a guy like me could know Jesus. Even even an absolute loser like me, high school dropout going nowhere with my life, addicted to all sorts of stupid and crazy things, and God could take my life and make something of it. That's astonishing. He told them, for I assure you, if you have the faith the size of a what? How big is that? Tiny. So little. He says, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. Jesus says, you don't need much faith to see results. You don't don't have to have much. You know, four different times, Jesus turned to his apostles and his followers, and he used these words. He said, you of little what? Why? Because these weren't extraordinary people. These were ordinary people that struggled, but they surrendered to an awesome God. In fact, Jesus Christ changed their lives so much that later after his resurrection, the apostles would appear before teachers of the religious law, and it says they looked at them and they were amazed. They realized this is Peter and John. They had no special training or education, and they were amazed. Why? Because these were just ordinary people. Realize you already have plenty of faith. Here's the second thing. Write this down. You got to believe in what he's done. Not what you've done, not what you will do or can do, what he's done. You believe into what he's done by dying and then rising from the dead. Guys, you want to know one of the greatest promises of Scripture? I just love it so much. It's this one right here. Let's just put this on the screen for everybody. He says, let's read it together. Ready? Everybody with me. He says, if you use your mouth to say, Jesus is Lord... And if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be, isn't that amazing? You will be saved. Let's keep going. We believe with our hearts, and so we are made right with God. And we use our mouths to say we believe, and so we are. Boy, I hope that you make that decision today if you've not. I hope you say, God, I have a little bit of faith but I've been placing it in my own life or I've been placing it in another human being or I've been placing it in in the money or the addictions or the lifestyle that I want, but I've not surrendered to you. You can. And as one guy that made a decision at one point in his life and it's changed me forever, I'm telling you, it's the best decision I've ever made. Some of you may be here and you're saying, I don't, I'm just not convinced. I don't know. You talked about evidence. I, I will say there's a book I want to get into your hands. I'm holding it up right here. These are free today. You guys are all the first people I'm talking to, and we've got about 500 of them, and uh, they're no cost, but they're all about the evidence for the resurrection. It's such a short little book. Anybody can read it, even a high school dropout like me. And I just encourage you to pick it up and start looking at the evidence objectively and saying, boy, am I going to choose to believe this? That you just start looking at it. So make sure that you pick that up. By the way, if, if you don't get a copy, you can just email us, hello at North Point, and we'll send you a copy in the mail so that you can read that. But I hope you get your hands on it because you may be saying, I want to believe. 
Look what the scripture says. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be disappointed because there is no difference between those who are Jews and those who are not. The same Lord is the Lord of all and gives many blessings to all who trust in him. As the scripture says, let's read it together. Come on, everybody. Anyone who calls on the Lord will, when you believe and when you understand, when suddenly you realize that Jesus looks at you and says, don't you see that these wounds are for you? And then as a result of seeing that, what do you do? I'd encourage you to pull a Thomas and just cry out, my Lord and my God. Write this down, drop your conditions. Drop them. Say, God, I'm gonna trust you with my life. I'm gonna stop making excuses. I will obey, I will believe. Why? Because I see these wounds are for me. They are. Can you choose to believe that today? Now listen, if you choose to trust in Jesus today, I'm gonna tell you something. Jesus doesn't start ordering you around, no. But he does start to change you. And he calls you by name. And he tells you who you are. <laughs> And he enters into a personal relationship with you. You know, I'll tell you this quick story. My dad is in a dementia ward at, uh, at the California Veterans Home. It's been a bummer during COVID that I've only been able to FaceTime with him, you know, once a week. But I FaceTime with him, and the other day he told me, he said, Shane, I heard about your preaching at your church. And I said, oh, really? He goes, yeah. I go, well, we just reopened the... We're just opening the doors again for indoor worship. He goes, oh, that's good. Get the pulpit ready for me. <laughs> you know, my dad's in his 80s. He has dementia. And, 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 uh, and I go, okay, all right, Dad, that sounds great. I'll, I'll get it ready for you. And I go, hey, Dad, do you remember growing up whenever you'd preach in little churches? Because he did, and he used to take me when he was a kid. It's kind of in my blood. He used to take me to all these churches, and every time he'd start out a message, he'd say, repeat after me, and everybody would repeat after him. He'd say, I am, and everybody would say, who God says I am, and I'll be who God tells me to be because I am who God says I am. Now, that's how I grew up. I grew up hearing that speech after speech after speech. So I said to him, I go, Dad, do you remember we used to go to churches and you used to say, I am? And my dad, he just starts laughing. <laughs> I do, I sure do, I remember that. He goes, and I go, yeah, you said I am, and then he finished it. He said, I am who I say I am. <laughs> and, you know, my dad, he, he doesn't have quite the memory. Again, he's in, as in the dementia ward, you know. And I, and, so he, and I start laughing. He goes, I am who I said. And I said, well, kind of different than that, dad. And I said, and I'll be and he goes, who I want to be. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, he was right the first time. You'd have to have dementia to believe that you can only be who you want to be. Did you create you? God loves you, and he wants you to know him. All you have to do is transfer your trust and say, I want that. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father, I pray for every person here.
And I just ask you to reveal to them a resurrection faith. And I pray for every person here that they would transfer their trust over to you. That you would become the object of their desire in their heart. Lord, we worship you because there's nothing in this life worthy of worship except you. Minister to every person online, indoors, outdoors, wherever they are, other cities. I pray you'd bless each one and draw them to you. God, we thank you and we ask you to do that. Would you repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, I want to know you. Come into my life and be my Savior and be my Lord. I choose to trust you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Thank you for your death that paid for me. And thank you for rising to ensure my place in Jesus' name. Amen.